good morning. Good to see you. If you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Psalms. Psalm 127. Just going to be kind of dialing down here and uh, focusing in on really just the first two verses of Psalm 127, though I will make reference to the rest of it. Psalm 127, we'll be reading the first two verses. Before we read, just uh, uh, for those of you who've been here for the first time, uh, for the first time today, I've been preaching through the book of Luke. Um, We will finish that in the next few weeks. Uh, We are doing something a little different. Uh, Last Sunday, this Sunday, um, you know, many of you know now I had six weeks off from preaching and I had a uh, vacation in there. Uh, Very, very, very good for my soul. When I left for vacation, I was incredibly dry uh, spiritually. Uh, I was really, really just physically tired. I actually asked the elders to let me out of the pulpit for two weeks, uh, two extra weeks, and the Lord graciously provided. So just really dry, very tired. And uh, man, during those six weeks, I really had a ton of time to pray, lots of time to uh, meditate on the word. I was able to process a lot with other believers, process with the elders. Um, you know, you don't just meet with Jesus going off by yourself. Uh, Jesus indwells the body of Christ. So uh, if you need a word from Jesus, go to the body, um, not just by yourself. Uh, there is a time to get by yourself, but Jesus indwells the body, and the elders were able to speak good counsel to me. I'm able to talk a lot with my wife Molly and just kind of process through what in the world is going on inside of my heart, and uh, um, the Lord began to show me some things, and I think over that time, I began to realize, I I don't think he was just showing it for me personally, but it was a word probably for our entire body. Uh, So the elders gave me the go-ahead to take a couple Sundays and just kind of do a scripture meditation of sorts, just kind of an overflow of the things that um, it seemed the Lord was teaching me. Uh, So that's what we did last Sunday. I preached from John 7, uh, just about the living water of the Holy Spirit. If you didn't have a chance to hear that sermon, I would encourage you to go to our website and listen to it, not because I think it's a great sermon. Uh, I don't think it was a great sermon, but I think there was truth in it for our body, and I think there's living water in uh, that sermon for us. Uh, And today, we're going to be looking at Psalm 127 and thinking about the concept of anxious toil. And I've really prayed the Lord would make this simple this morning. I just have a few notes, really trusting the Lord will speak through me. I do believe the Lord has a word for our entire church this morning. I really believe that. Now he can do whatever he wants. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit blows wherever he wishes like the wind. So you don't control the Holy Spirit. He does whatever he wishes. But I have the sense that the Lord has a word for our entire church this morning. So let's just pray and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. Father, we do just surrender to you now. I surrender myself to you. I am but a vessel and a, a very broken vessel. Lord God, there is nothing good in me that could do anything spiritually good in any other human being. So Father, I just freely acknowledge that this morning, and we look to you. Lord, it's so easy to sing that song, Lord, to you we lift up our souls, and yet we don't do it. So Lord, I do pray right now you'd help us to lift up our souls to you. I ask that you would search our souls 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. I ask that you would show us our utter emptiness right now and we would begin to look desperately to you that you would fill our souls. So Lord, we do right now just lift up our souls to you. I lift up my soul to you. I acknowledge that you are the only fountain of living water and we are all empty apart from you. So Lord, we lift ourselves up to you. Will you fill us this morning through your word, we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. Psalm 127, a song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he, God, gives to his beloved sleep. Just in the superscript up there in the psalm, uh, you see that this, was a, this is a song of ascents. This was most likely a song that the people of Israel sang as they marched up towards Jerusalem for, for the different uh, yearly feasts. They would sing this song together. This, one, uh, this particular psalm was written by King Solomon, uh, David's son. King Solomon, as many of you may remember, had the responsibility of building the temple. So he did build a very large house uh, at one point. Uh, Solomon also had great wisdom. Um, he asked the Lord, just give me wisdom to lead these people. And God did. Great wisdom. This is a wisdom song. So this psalm is intended to teach us how to live wisely on this earth. And this particular psalm right here is a psalm that I hit on my vacation, uh, just in my daily readings. I read through the Bible every year, four different locations on a daily basis. This was one of the, the places I hit on my vacation. Uh, I was tired at the time, very dry, asking the Lord why I was so dry and tired. And this psalm absolutely shot through my soul like a dart. Why are you tired, Brett? Why are you so dry in your soul? Anxious toil. Vain labor, fleshly striving. And the Lord then began to show me some areas in my life where I had been sinning by striving in the flesh. You know, we tend to think that all hard work is good. It's not. There is a lot of hard work that simply comes out of your flesh. It is not rooted in a faith in God. It's not rooted in a trust in God. And even though that hard work might look like a great thing, because it is not rooted in trust in God, it is actually a sinful thing in the eyes of God. An anxious toil, fleshly striving. So we're going to think for just a few minutes this morning about the sin of anxious toil, fleshly striving. I want to think first for a couple seconds here just about normal toil. 
uh, just natural labor on this earth. You know, God did create us as human beings to labor in this world. He created us to put forth effort at times in our life. When, when, when God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he told them, among other things, to work. Genesis 1.28, he said, be fruitful, multiply, uh, fill the earth, and subdue it. Cultivate it, Adam and Eve. Genesis 2.15, the Lord took Adam, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. God created us to work, to labor, to expend energy at times. Work, contrary to popular belief, work is not a product of the fall. Darn, Adam sinned and now we have to labor. No, no, pain in labor is a product of the fall. But work in and of itself is a product of creation. God created us to work. And this in life in this world just involves a certain amount of normal, natural labor or toil. You have to labor at lots of things in life. Solomon gives us two examples right there. Talks about building a house and guarding a city. If you want a, a house, you have to build it, okay? You have to build a house in order to have one. It takes, it takes work, it takes toil, it takes labor to build a house. Blood, sweat, and tears at times. If you sit back and do nothing, you won't work, and you just hope that the house miraculously builds itself, you will be homeless. God says in the Word, if you will not work, you will not eat. There is a time to labor and building a house. Having a house is one time to labor. And then Solomon goes on and talks about guarding a city. If you own a city, and if you do own a city, I want to know you. <laughs> I want to be your friend. I used to tell my kids, my last name is Lewis, so I do own the city of Louisville. And I own the city of St. Louis. <laughs> That's me. I own them. If you own a city and you want your city to be safe, you have to guard your city. It takes work. It takes toil. You put forth effort to guard your city. You stay up all night, maybe. You stay alert. You don't, when you're on the guard post, you don't just text your girlfriend all night long. You're actually alert on duty. If you sit back and do nothing, you won't work. Just hope your city is safe. Your city is in trouble. Building a house, guarding a city, they take work. And you have to labor at lots of other things in this life. You have to labor in school. We homeschool our kids. We're educating them. And I know they wish they could lay down at night and just sleep and it would come to them. It doesn't work like that. You have to work to get smart. You put forth energy and effort. You have to labor to make a living in this life. You sit back and do nothing and hope all this money falls from the sky. You will be dirt poor or you'll be a mooch who drives everybody crazy. You work to make a living. You labor to build real relationships in this life. If you want to have a good relationship with your spouse, you work at it. If you want a good relationship with your kids, you work at it. Good relationship with your friends, you work at it. You labor. You labor to build your family. A good, solid family doesn't come from just sitting back and doing nothing. You labor to build it. That may be what Solomon was thinking about here when he talked about building a house 
You may have been thinking about building a family or building a home because in the back part of the psalm, he goes on to talk about how children are ultimately a blessing from the Lord. So you have to put forth effort to build a solid family or even to build a family, period. Husbands and wives have to do certain things to have a family. But unless the Lord blesses your labors, you will not have a family at all. You won't have have a solid family in, in any way. You, you have to labor there. You know, you know you even have to labor in the Christian life. You know, I think a lot of people think, well, you just trust in Jesus, a simple faith, and you sit back and do the minimum. You show up in a church service every once in a while. You might crack your Bible once in a blue moon. That's about it, and that's not the Christian life. You are saved to work as a Christian. You're saved to labor. Jesus saves you and he calls you to work. Ephesians 2, you're not saved by your works, but you are saved to work. The Bible tells you that you are to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You are to run your race with endurance. You are to strive in prayer. You are to put off sin. You are to read the Bible. You are to obey the Bible. You are to, you're to follow Jesus. You are to make disciples. The saints are called to do the work of the ministry. Elders have to labor to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. The Christian life involves labor across the board, toil at times, effort, you exert energy. All of life involves a certain level of just normal, natural work, labor, or toil. But here's the thing about our work or our toil in this life. God created us to do our labor in this life in Him. Resting in Him in our labor, trusting in Him in our labor, recognizing at all times that He is the one who must ultimately make our labor fruitful and productive and looking to Him constantly, leaning upon Him, dependent upon Him in everything we do. Unless you build my house, Lord, unless you ultimately watch my city, unless you ultimately provide money for me, unless you ultimately give me food, unless you ultimately give me clothes, unless you, you ultimately build a family, unless you ultimately do any of these things, Lord, then all of my, vain, my labor is in vain. It's worthless, Solomon says, absolutely worthless labor. We are created by God to do all of our labor, toil in this life with a childlike trust in Him, a labor in God. And man, I think that's probably the way Adam and Eve labored when they were first created, going to subdue the ground and cultivate the Garden of Eden. I think they did their labor in God, trusting Him for the end result. But when they sinned, the entire human race then turned away from God in every area of our life. We no longer trusted in God for the end result. We, we began to trust in and rely upon ourselves for the end result. We became our own gods. And that fall away from God, it polluted the way we labor in this life. Polluted it. Our labor, the human race, our labor was no longer a restful labor, ultimately trusting in God for the end result. No, we began, it became a very unrest, unrestful labor, ultimately trusting in ourselves for the end result. We began to trust in the strength of our own flesh. 
striving in our own flesh to get things done. No longer a God dependency, but a sinful self-dependency. And man, even, even when you come to Christ in faith in this life, he shows you your sin, he shows you rebellion against God, you come to him in faith, you trust in Christ, you cling to Christ, man, praise God, Jesus forgives you of all of your rebelliousness, of all of your sins. You are forgiven, but you know what? Jesus then begins to work in your life to conform you back to the way God originally created you. God wants to transform now the way you labor so you no longer keep laboring, trusting in yourself, but you now go back to laboring and trusting in God, a childlike trust in Him to do everything that you need in this life. And man, God has to keep reminding us in His Word to labor like that, a labor in God, God has to continually remind us to labor like that. I think that's what Solomon is doing right here. He's reminding us here that in all our labors, we must trust in God and look to God and rest in God because God is ultimately in control. Unless the Lord builds your house. Unless the Lord watches your city. The watchman and the labor, labor in vain. You have to work in this life. But all your labor in this life, it is nothing but five loaves and two fish. That's it. And that little five loaves and two fish, all your earthly labor is not going to go very far to feed anybody. It has to be taken into the hands of Jesus and blessed and broken. And it is productive you do your labor in this life in God work hard but you trust God to ultimately build your house and guard your city and God wants us to labor like that in everything we do God wants you to work your job in him leaning and depending on him daily trusting him for blessing on your efforts God wants you to build your family in him Trusting him to bless your labors. God wants you to raise your kids in him. Trusting in God to save your kids and educate your kids and protect your kids. You're not your kid's savior. You're not your kid's savior. And the second you begin to think that your kids and the finished product of your kids, that's ultimately in your hands, you're going to begin to sink. You can begin to sink. God wants us to serve in Christian ministry in Him. Leaning hard on Him and trusting Him to turn our measly little five loaves and two fish into something much better. God wants us to do every bit of our labor in this life in Him. Resting, trusting, leaning hard on God in faith. For unless the Lord builds our house and watches our city, all our labors are absolutely worthless. And man, we desperately need reminders like this in the Word. Reminding us to work like that. Because we are all very sinfully prone in our labors, our toil, our work in this life to forget God. Very easy, very subtle. We labor hard, labor hard, and all of a sudden we've forgotten God. That he's ultimately in control. We're very, very, we very subtly start trusting less and less in God. We start trusting more and more in self. 
you, you start to believe that you're the one who's ultimately responsible for getting something done. You're the one who's ultimately responsible for making money. You're the one who's responsible for saving your kids, for saving your marriage, for making disciples. It's all on you. It's all up to me. i got to make this thing happen. You start trusting in self more and more to accomplish things through your own blood, sweat, and tears, your own hard work. Ultimately trusting in your own flesh, your own abilities, your own self-effort. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you have very, very subtly began to function as your own God in that area of your life. You will somehow do it yourself. No longer a God-sufficiency, but a sinful self-sufficiency. And listen, when, when we move in that direction, that sinful direction, when we move away from a childlike trust in God in our labors, and we move toward a sinful trust in ourselves in any of our labors, you are now committing a sin that I would call fleshly striving. You're striving in the strength of your own flesh to get something done, trusting in your own strength, your own labors, your own power, trusting in the right arm of your flesh, as the Bible might say. It's sin. And how do you know when you've begun to slip into fleshly striving in your life? What are, what are the signs and the symptoms of fleshly striving in your life? How do you know you've begun to toil, not with a dependence on God, but a dependence on yourself I think Solomon gives us a couple of the symptoms of fleshly striving. You read verse 1 again. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. So how do you know you've begun to slip into this fleshly striving, trusting more in yourself to get something done than in God? I think there are a couple symptoms that Solomon kind of gives us there. One, I think this is the cardinal symptom, anxiousness. 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 You begin to get very, very anxious down in your life. Anxiousness in your life, anxiousness in your labor, in whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, anxiousness is almost always a cardinal sign that you have begun to trust in yourself. You have all of a sudden become your own God. In one area or more areas, you think it's ultimately up to you. You're striving in the flesh, not trusting God, trusting yourself. Solomon says here, it's vain to rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. And you can see the picture he's painting there. If you don't have a trust in God, you're not going to have the sleep that God wants to give you. You start getting up earlier in the morning, you start staying up later at night. You're eating the bread of anxious toil all day long trying to get this thing to happen. This anxiousness is all over you. Anxious toil. It's not, it's not a resting toil. Ultimately trusting in God to do it. You're trusting in yourself. You've taken God's place. 
And you begin to get anxious because you were not created to be your own God. None of us were. You begin to experience anxious toil in your life because you weren't created to be God and take care of yourself. And man, you know when you start to toil in an anxious toil, trusting in yourself, produces lots of other things. You begin to get really irritable with other people. You begin to get upset with people who disrupt your schedule. Let's just call it angry <laughs> in your heart. Short with people who interrupt you. Impatient. And it's all flowing out of this anxious toil in your heart. You're eating the bread of anxious toil. I think a second symptom that you've been, that you've been striving in the flesh, dryness. Your inner soul begins to dry up. becomes very, very parched inside. And it makes sense. You're eating the bread, Solomon says, of anxious toil. The diet in your life at that time is anxious toil. That's what you're eating. And if you're eating the bread of anxious toil on an ongoing basis, your soul is not being fed. Your soul will dry up within you. You won't have living water. The Holy Spirit in your heart as much. Anxious toil quenches the spirit. Very, living, very little living water in your own soul to satisfy your own soul. And very little living water flowing out of you to, to other people. I think a third symptom that, that Solomon gives us here, a third symptom of, of fleshly striving is sleeplessness. Solomon says, it is vain to rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil for the Lord gives to his beloved sleep. And man, the Lord has designed us to labor in him. And then at the end of the day, Entrust our labor to Him and sleep, resting in Him, trusting in His care for us. But man, when you have subtly become your own God, and you are striving in the flesh to make something happen, you begin to lose sleep. You begin to lose sleep. Now, there are many causes of sleeplessness. You can have physical things that would cause you uh, not to sleep. I am older at this point in my life, and I just don't sleep as well as I used to. There is a, a natural thing there, but come on, let's be honest. A lot of sleeplessness in our lives is rooted in anxious toil. We think we need to be our own gods and take care of ourselves. We're anxious toil. We don't sleep. And one final sign, I think, here that... You have begun to strive in the flesh, trusting in your own toil. I, I, I just think you're worn out. You're worn out. You're, you're no longer operating in the strength that God supplies. You're now operating in your own strength. And you can't do it in your own strength. And you just end up worn out. When you've begun to strive in the flesh, sinful self-sufficiency, trusting not ultimately, not ultimately in God but in yourself, I think those are the things you begin to experience. You're anxious, dry in your soul, sleepless, worn out, and it's time for personal confession. When, when I hit this passage right here on vacation, I knew it. 
(laughs) I knew within the first two words that the Lord was saying, that's you. That's you. Why? Why are you dry? Why are you tired, Brett? Fleshly striving. Anxious toil. God began to convict me of sin. He's so good to do that. You lack his presence, you don't, you, you're not there, you don't know what's going on. He's probably going to come first and show you sin. <laughs> because he's not the one who departs from you, you're the one who departs from him in some ways. And he came and began to convict me of sin. Man, I had, before my six weeks off, I'd been laboring very hard in some areas. And nothing inherently wrong <laughs> with hard work. But in a lot of my labors, I had very subtly began to trust in my own strength to get things done. I was reading a book on vacation, a Christian book, and and the author just mentioned the sin of self-effort. And it landed on me (laughs) like a thousand pound weight. That's me! The sin of self-effort. It was not the first time in my life over my vacations, not the first time that God has convicted me of the sin of fleshly striving. Man, I first started seeing that sin in my life probably 20 years ago, just operating in the strength of the flesh. God actually used that particular psalm uh, to blow me up 20 years ago and begin to show me that sin uh, in my life. And over the past 20 years, God has been very gracious to continue to show me the roots of fleshly striving in my heart and life. He's been going deeper and deeper every time, peeling away more layers all the time. And God convicted me again on vacation, going way deeper, showing very deep roots of anxious toil in my life. And do you know what area of my life God highlighted this time? The area of my life where I began to see a lot of fleshly striving over the past six to 12 months or so. You know what area? My pastoral ministry. My job as lead pastor of this church. You know, there is always the temptation in any type of Christian ministry. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor or if you're a Christian, you know, just doing the work of the ministry. There's always a temptation to operate in the strength of your own flesh. There always is. And I don't actually believe we'll ever be perfectly rid of that <laughs> until we see Jesus. There's in us this thing that wants to operate in the strength of our own flesh. We want to do Christian ministry in the strength of our own flesh. It's very, very subtle. I think, I think a lot of Christians don't even ever recognize it. I think they go their whole life trying to do Christian ministry in the strength of their own flesh, and they wonder why they hate Christian ministry so much. Why does it burn me out? Why does it make me so anxious? Well, those are symptoms of trying to do it in the strength of your flesh. You're trying to do spiritual things through fleshly means. It doesn't work. I think every Christian does it at times. I think every bit of Christian ministry that we do as believers, I think every bit of Christian ministry we do as believers, I think it's always probably tainted or polluted to some degree by self. It's just in there. We're sinners. It's polluted by self. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a little bit of self-effort in it or a self-striving or self-trust in the end results, a, a, a desire for, for self-recognition. Our Christian ministry is just, uh, just, I think, all the time polluted to some degree by self. And during my break, man, the Lord began to show me areas of self 
uh, areas where I was really striving in the flesh. I think I was striving in my flesh to some degree, just in my overall leadership of this church. You know, two years ago, the, the Lord kind of re, redirected us as a local church in a really good way. Uh, I think all the elders, now we look at it and say, oh man, those changes were really good. Uh, it was kind of like the Lord gave us some new tracks that we feel are much more biblical, they're much more, they're, they're much more healthy for a local church. And, and two years ago, we really intentionally just began to talk about making disciples. Jesus commands us to do that, so we want to make disciples of both believers and unbelievers, and we want to be a church where all the saints do that work. It's not just one person up in the pulpit who's, who's, who's doing that, who's trying to make disciples, but we're all being equipped to make disciples. And man, we just felt that those were really good tracks and still do to this day think those are so good. We had a talk as elders and we all just said, man, the Lord has given us just much better tracks than, than we had before. We're so very, very thankful for what the Lord uh, has done in, in giving us that. It's kind of like, yeah, he took this freight train called Christ Redeemer church and he put it on these tracks and said there it is and man so good but you know in order for our church to begin to move down those tracks uh, in order for us to become a body of believers that that we're all active in ministry a body of believers all doing the work of the ministry and and actively seeking to make disciples who who make other disciples you know in order to start moving down those tracks there was quite a bit of labor <laughs> that needed to be done uh, some upfront, just, just basic labor. It just had to be done. Uh, we switched all life groups, and we had to form those life groups. We had to then find a way to train the life group leaders. We had to then figure out a way to train the life groups. Uh, the elders had to begin to think about ways that we, we could do a better job of equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. And on top of all that, there was just the normal pastoral ministry duties. <laughs> the everyday counseling, the, the crisis issues that come up, the regular preaching load. We started a CRC basics class, which we just felt was good and necessary. Uh, all of us elders were leading our own life groups at the time. Uh, quite a bit of stuff just to be done. There was labor to be done. And it wasn't like that was bad. It feels like all that was good and necessary and right. But I think I sinned in there. I think in a couple of ways. One, I took too much of that on me. Jesus wasn't asking me to do all that I took upon myself, and I've asked him to forgive me for that. And then two, the things he was asking me to do, I think I very subtly began to strive in my own flesh to see them carried out. Somewhere along the line, man, all those things fly, flying around, I started to labor in the strength of my own flesh, very, very subtle. I think I began to trust less and less in God to move us down the tracks. And I began to sinfully look more and more to myself. As if it was up to me to move the church down the tracks. And it's so easy to say, oh, Jesus builds his church, Jesus builds his church. And you, you lose it in your heart. And you somehow think it's your responsibility. I, I had a ton of opportunity to pray and, and, and even fast some over the last several weeks. It's been so good for my soul. And I actually did get a chance to get away, many chances to get away and just 
private. Um, Hastings, the park down at Hastings on the river has been my place, man. That place is full of the Spirit of God now because I've prayed down there so many times. Just, God, help, help, help. And the Lord has just been giving such good direction there and clarifying things for me. So gracious, so kind. And as I was praying up on the bluff down there in Hastings uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I looked across the water and there was a train moving across the tracks. I just watched it for a time, not moving fast, but just steadily moving. There's the engine, all the cars. And man, you know, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I knew what the Lord was saying. Brett, you're trying to pull a freight train. You've been trying to pull a freight freight train down the tracks. Right tracks, wrong power. You can't do it. I have to do it. And then my wife and I, <laughs> watching it, we love to watch documentaries, and we watched, this, um, we watched this documentary on Steve Nash, who was a basketball player a lot of years, Phoenix Suns, L.A. Lakers. And in this documentary, for some reason, even at the end, I don't think we know why they did this in the documentary, but periodically, the documentary would just break, and no longer video of Steve Nash and stuff, and all of a sudden, there would just be this animated drawing of this man trying to push this huge boulder up a hill. And every now and again, he'd grunt and he'd groan and the boulder would roll back on him. And he'd get back up and he'd do it backwards and he'd do it forward, grunt and groan, and it'd pull back on him. And, and all of a sudden, as I was processing through the weeks with Molly, she looked at me and she said, I think that's you. And thank God for my wife, because she was right. And God just saying to me, you think you're going to pull the train down the tracks? You think you're going to push a boulder up the hill? And you know what I think God said to me? Knock yourself out. Go for it. Go for it. And I just had the sense, again, not an audible voice, just impression in my heart that God was saying, guess who will oppose you? I will. The scripture says over and over again, God opposes the proud. So, Brett, if you think you are going to pull a train down the tracks... I'll let you try until you kill yourself trying because I will not allow you to boast in your own strength. I will receive the glory for it. Man, I'd just gotten into it. I know, trying to pull that freight train down the tracks, it was an anxious toil. It just crept in. Couldn't see it. Just all kinds of stuff. I just couldn't see it. And man, and it produced all of those symptoms in me. It was just an anxiousness. No peace at times. Just, just, just anxious, uh, draining toil. And then that anxiousness, anxiousness produces a lot of other things. You're toiling in the flesh, and then it just produces irritability. It was so irritable in my home. Please forgive me. I've already asked her to forgive me. I was just frustrated. I was impatient. I was angry in my heart. And so on. And just picture it, trying to pull a freight train down a tracks, thinking it's your responsibility to do it. And how do you feel when it doesn't move? <laughs> oh, my word, I'm sick of this train. <laughs> get down the tracks. And the Lord says, get your hands off the train. <laughs> and it'll move down the tracks. He's good, man. That impatience and, or anxiousness and the dryness, that was part of the dryness. It was just anxious toil, sleeplessness. I was just having sleepless nights before the Lord began to work on my heart and just worn out. The Lord began to address it with this psalm here. And you know, as the Lord pushed more and more on this thing on vacation, 
As he began to reveal to me more and more of my own fleshly striving. Do you know the one area in my pastoral ministry where I began to see more fleshly striving than any other? My sermon preparation. My sermon preparation. I began to see a lot of fleshly striving there in my weekly preparation. You know you learn all kinds of things in seminary about how to prepare a good sermon. Lots and lots of things. They're they're good things, most of them. But listen, if you are not very, very careful, some of those things can lead you to do way too much in the flesh. You prepare way too much. You overkill it. You don't spend enough time in prayer. You spend way too much time writing a sermon. And your heart is not in a great place when you actually stand up to preach it. Now, thankfully, God was gracious to me, and I felt like most of the times I preached, my heart was in a decent place, but I didn't feel like there was that much living water in what I was saying at times. If you're not really careful, man, seminary could teach you to prepare a sermon by striving the flesh. You just do all the little pieces, you labor over writing it, you have a good sermon. There can be a lot of flesh in that and not enough spirit. And I'll be very honest with you, the Lord's shown me recently, there's been a lot of fleshly striving in my weekly sermon prep. Too many hours getting a sermon together, just too many hours. I don't know how much time you think it takes to prepare a sermon. You know, people will tell you, well, 10 hours, 20 hours, 30 hours. Paul Tripp says it takes him 30 hours to prepare every sermon. That's what I've heard. So I, I, it, it just takes so many hours. And, 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 and the key is, what is Jesus asking you to do? It's not what Paul Tripp does. It's not what anybody does. What is Jesus telling me to do? Where is there life-giving water for me in preparing sermons? Now, Paul Tripp may be able to do 30 hours, and he's full of life-giving water for people. Maybe half of his 30 hours is on his knees just praying, and he comes out just overflowing with living water. But I have spent 30 hours preparing sermons on many occasions, and I can just tell you that the fruit Many of those times that I felt in my own spirit was not completely living water. It was anxious toil. It was a fleshly striving in my life. And man, I can see in that sermon preparation all these symptoms. Anxiousness. My anxiousness would just increase as the week went on towards Sunday. You don't let people know that, of course. you got to be too cool to tell people that. But it did. Dryness, I think, at times. Just the spirit being quenched. Too much of this. Not enough just living water in my soul. Sleepless. And the sleeplessness would increase as it went towards Sunday. And I would tell people, you know, uh, I I just don't sleep as well now that I'm older. Well, that was a cover-up. Because you know when I went on vacation, (laughs) slept like a baby the entire time. So that tells you there's something going on in my weekly rhythm that is not good. The sleeplessness was there. Tired. Sermon prep has now become one of the big targets. The Lord has zeroed in on it. I know there's fleshly striving mixed in with the good. 
I always want to go through the Word and exegete the passage and be ready to preach it. But man, there's fleshly striving in there. You can pray for me. I've asked the Lord to show me how much time do you want me to spend to preach one sermon here in this church, and then how do I fit my preparation and my prayer into that time? And I want a good amount of prayer. I've already told the elders that I've committed to a new level of prayer. I just know the Lord has told me that. You know, I said to Molly, <laughs> I said to Molly as we're driving back from vacation, I'm seeing all this stuff in my life. I told her, you know what, I think fleshly striving is probably one of my most deeply rooted besetting sins. It, it just is. I used to think it was more obvious sins that I was fighting against on a regular basis. But I think that fleshly striving is one of the more deeply rooted besetting sins in my life. It, it's just there. It seems to creep in a lot of times. And, and why is that? I think, because, I think one of the reasons is because in the flesh, according to worldly standards, I am a fairly capable person. I mean, I, I can do some things in the strength of my flesh. I, I always excelled in school. I excelled in, in, in sports. You know, I've, I've, I've done pretty well in, really in almost everything I've tried to do. And, and you know, I can work hard at things. I, if you got a task for me to do, I know I'm like, all right, let's go, man. Let's take the hill. i got a Marine buddy who always kind of throws that out. Take the hill, buddy. Take the hill. And I, that's that mindset in me. you got something for me to do? I'll take that thing. Man, I got to get through, you know, PT school. I'll, I, I got it. You got to get through, get an MDiv, you know, with kids in your home. I got it. You know, I'll, I'll do it. I'll take that hill. There's this natural strength in my flesh, and that can be a good thing. It's not bad to have some capabilities and, and to be able to work hard, but that strength in my flesh has been my worst enemy at times. Because here's the thing. God doesn't work through strength. He works through weakness. He works through human weakness, brokenness, humility. Jesus said to Paul, my power is made perfect in your weakness. When you are weak, Paul, then you are strong. The more I operate in the strength of my own flesh, the less power of Jesus I have in my life. The weaker I am, the more broken I am, the more humble I am, the more strength of Jesus that I have in my life. Man, one of the most crippling things in my life is my own self-sufficiency. Just is. Trusting in my own strength to get things done. Sinful self-dependence, self-trust, self-energy. I can pull the freight train, I can push the boulder, I can take the hill. And Jesus says, no, you can't. I'll oppose you in your strength. I think fleshly striving, one of my most deeply rooted besetting sins. But here's the thing. I'm not the only person in this church who struggles with that sin of fleshly striving, vain labor, Anxious toil, sinful self-sufficiency. You know, I originally thought this thing was just for me, but the more I prayed about it, I began to realize God was maybe not just speaking a personal word to me about this fleshly striving thing, this sinful self-deficiency, sufficiency, but God was speaking to me about a systemic problem through our entire church. I think God has been telling me that one of the most deeply rooted besetting sins in our entire church is fleshly striving. 
a sinful self-sufficiency. I think all of us probably have a very sinful tendency to trust in the strength of our own flesh to get things done. And why? Well, because in the flesh, according to worldly standards, we are all very capable people. People who can do some things in the flesh through our own strength. I look around this room here and I see engineers and airline pilots and investment managers and IT specialists and doctors and business owners. I see military personnel who've learned to conquer. I see athletes. I see people who are fit by and large in their bodies and fit in their minds. I'll bet if we asked the average GPA of our church going through high school and college, it would be off the charts. We are all to some degree take the hill people. You put a boulder in front of us and we will try to push it. Put a freight train and we will try to pull it. Engineering degree, I got it. Make a living for my family, I got it. Train for marathons, I got it. Pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and get it done. I can do it, I will do it. Rise up early, stay up late, I'll take that hill. It's not bad in and of itself to be capable people who know how to work hard in this life, but that fleshly strength, I believe, is one of our greatest enemies as a local church. We rely upon the strength of our own flesh. God doesn't work through human strength. He works through human weakness, brokenness, humility. We know that in our heads. We're still too sinfully prone to operating the strength of our own flesh. And you know where that becomes a deadly thing for a local church? Is when we try to accomplish spiritual things through the strength of our own flesh. God has put a mission out in front of us to go and make disciples of all nations. A glorious mission. But if we as a local church think we are going to pull the freight train down those tracks on the strength of our own flesh, we are badly deceived. And we will make very little headway down those tracks. We won't do it. I think God has been saying to me that one of the most crippling things in our life as a local church is sinful self-sufficiency. We're strong. We're not yet that weak. And you know what? I know, I know that fleshly striving, I, I know that self-sufficiency is a huge problem for our local church. And do you know how I know it? You ready? Weak prayer. Weak prayer. Our church, you know, I, I haven't asked you, I haven't seen you in your private life. I just have the sense that we are very weak when it comes to prayer. Not every Christian here. A few of you probably have very vibrant prayer lives, but I'd be willing to bet the vast majority of us are 
pretty weak in prayer. And listen, please. Weak prayer, a lack of prayer in your life is one of the cardinal signs that you are trusting way too much in yourself. Prayer is one of the ultimate marks of humility. Prayer is one of the ultimate marks of dependence on God. You are looking to Him daily. You are calling out for Him. You recognize that you don't have what it takes to build your house and to watch your city. And you are crying out to Him. You realize in your life groups that you don't have the strength, the power to make disciples. And you cry out to Him on a regular basis. You realize that you don't have the strength to do any good for anybody through a sermon. So you get on your knees and begin to cry out rather than just wrestling in the flesh. You're on your knees. Humble people pray. Needy people pray. Broken, weak people pray. Self-sufficient people don't pray. Self-sufficient people just, we don't pray. They don't need to. They can take the hill. Pull the freight train, push the boulder, they can make the disciples. Listen, if you're a Christian here and you're weak in prayer, you are sinfully self-sufficient and God wants you to see it. Because He loves you. And as long as you continue to operate in your own self-sufficient flesh, God will oppose you. God will oppose you. Because he will not let human beings boast in the strength of their own flesh. He'll oppose you. He's opposed me. I know it. I've seen a lack of prayer in my own life. When I went away on vacation, all I thought that God was impressing on me was pray, 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 pray. And man, I see it all over the word now. It's crazy. I did pray as a pastor. Don't think I never prayed, you know. But not to the level God wants me to pray. And it was a sign of my self-sufficiency. A lack of prayer is a sign that you're trusting in your own flesh. And prayer is one of the ways that you will crucify your own flesh. If you want to stop striving in the flesh and walking in anxious toil, man, ask the Lord, teach me to pray. And the more you're forced to get down on your knees and look up to him, you're, you're reminded my strength is really in you, isn't it? Not in me. And all of a sudden the peace returns and the joy returns and the life returns and the, the good rhythm of life returns to you. There's more power in five minutes of genuine prayer than there is in 50 hours of fleshly striving. You'll get more accomplished. Five minutes of genuine prayer. Man, you can see it. You can see it all of a sudden. I'm like, thank you, Lord. I do believe there's a bit of a cancer here. That's okay. God loves us. That's why he shows us this. But the cancer is called self-sufficiency and fleshly striving. And I think the answer for it is that we as a local church learn how to get down on our knees and pray. We pray individually. We pray together. We get our hands off of the thing. And we say, you, Lord, not I, but Christ. You know what God wants to do for all of us? You know what I've been praying for our entire church? Break our bones 
break our bones. Break our bones, Lord. Because in every one of us, there is this strong self. And we try to live our life with this strong self, working with the strong and rigid self, you know, doing the work of the ministry with the strong self, living the Christian life with this strong self. And God says, that's not how it's done. God, break our bones. Break our bones. Break our bones. Break that self-sufficiency in us. Break that self-sufficiency in us. Break our bones. God did it for Paul. God did it for Paul. You talk about a man who was capable in the flesh, Paul. <laughs> My word, he was, a, he was a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says. As to the law, Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Man, Paul in Pharisee school, he got A's in everything. <laughs> Top of the class and God broke him. Jesus broke him. And Paul learned. He still worked hard. But he said things like this, I toil, I struggle with the energy that he so powerfully works in me. He says, I labored harder than all the rest of them. Nevertheless, not I, but the grace of God in me. And I think Paul labored from his knees, praying, God, help me, help me, help me. And working the spirit of dependence and prayer on God. Lord, unless you bless this, we're done. I'm going to end with this. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes, ask the worship team to go on up, come up. Just ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to finish a little differently this morning. We're going to pray for a second. I just ask you, Lord, now that you would search hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. You would search hearts. You would serve, search lives. Father, shine the light of the Holy Spirit into our hearts right now. And just be still before the Lord. Father, I pray you begin to Begin to reveal this ugly sin of self-sufficiency. Toiling in the strength of the flesh, not trusting in you. Not a childlike trust in you. Trusting in ourselves. I pray you'd reveal it now. Lord, just reveal it now. Where mothers have labored in the strength of their flesh to raise kids or to save kids. Where fathers have labored in the strength of the flesh to do the same where people have labored in the strength of the flesh to make a living or to get something done in this life, anything, I pray, Lord, you would show right now where that is. Father, for our life groups, I pray you'd reveal where we've tried to do things through the strength of the flesh, but there's a lack of prayer, lack of prayer indicating that we're in the flesh. Pray, Father, you would reveal right now where we are trying to pull freight trains down the track. We're trying to be the engine that moves it, the engine that gets it done. We've gotten out in front of the true engine, Jesus. We're trusting in ourselves. 
that you'd reveal the anxiousness and the dryness and the sleeplessness. I'm going to ask you to do something I don't normally do. I do want you to keep your eyes closed if you would. And if you do feel that the Holy Spirit has really dropped this in your heart and convicted you in some areas, fleshly striving, self-sufficiency, I'm going to ask you to stand. And don't, don't do it just because everybody else is doing it, please. Don't do that. But if you know the Holy Spirit has revealed it in some powerful ways in your heart, I would ask you to stand. And see, this is uh, a very easy form of public confession for you. (laughs) The Lord has had me confess publicly, and this is a very simple way that you're saying, yes, I agree, Lord, I see it. So what confession is, you agree with the Lord. I see it, Lord. Now, I just want to encourage you right now. I want to encourage you in your heart and in your mind. You go to the cross of Jesus. You go to the cross and you see him. You see him there. Love on the cross. Broken. Jesus, if you have a genuine faith in Jesus, if you're clinging to him in faith, Jesus drank your cup of sin. He drank your cup, fleshly striving and self-sufficiency. He drank it. He took the punishment for it. It's an ugly, ugly, ugly sin. You need to recognize that it is rooted in pride. You've taken pride in the fact that you were top of your class. You've taken pride in the fact that you could take the hill. You've taken pride in the fact that you could do all these different things. God is the one that gave you the strength to do anything. And your boasting in your own flesh has hampered the work of God in your life. It's quenched the Holy Spirit in your life. And Jesus is asking you, To lay it down. Lay it down. It's not the path to life. The path to life is looking to the broken one who is broken for you. And his love for you will break you and bring you to your knees in weakness, humility, and joy. It's the path of brokenness. And then you follow him down that road of brokenness. He wants to take you further and further into your own weakness, humility and brokenness, further and further. And there's more of his life for you in that. He removes more of yourself and he gives you more of himself. Not I, but Christ in me. So Father, you see these people and I just ask now, you break our bones. Father, forgive us. You just forgive us, Lord. Just a sick self-sufficiency, fleshly striving. And it hasn't produced good fruits in our lives, Lord. It hasn't produced good fruits in our marriages, in our homes. 
words produce strife, turmoil, arguments, yelling, hatred. It's this anxious toil. Help us to lay it down now. To go to that simple place of childlike trust in a God who loves us. Gave his son for us. I think Jesus would say to you now, all you who are standing, I think Jesus would say this to you. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am lowly and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So, Father, break our bones and enable us to come to Jesus and lay down our labor in the flesh. Lay down self and receive rest. The yoke of Jesus, operating in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, trusting you. Simple childlike trust in our lives. Just pray, Father, that this would be the beginning of something new for this local church. Father, we believe you have more of the Holy Spirit for us. Father, we believe that you have just a more life in Jesus for us. Thank you for what you've given us, but Lord, we want that more. Father, I pray you take us into the brokenness, the weakness, the humility, and do it. Break our bones, Lord, we pray. Thank you for forgiveness in Jesus for these sins. And those of you who have gone to Jesus in faith now, you've, you've forgiven, you're free, you're cleansed. You're cleansed of your fleshly striving. And the Spirit of God will help you to walk in a new pace, in a new way. You may be seated. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to let Levi lead us um, in one more song here. I want to say this. It just came to me as I was finishing praying. Let peace rule in your heart in what you do. Let peace rule in your heart. That's in the book of Colossians. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And that literally means umpire. Let the peace of Christ be the umpire in your life. You know what an umpire does? An umpire tells you what's out and what's in. So if you start to feel a lack of peace in your labor with your kids or in your home or in the job, if you feel that lack of peace and you sense the anxiousness and the restlessness and the fear and the worry come on you, let that peace, the Holy Spirit is telling you something, that you're sliding into anxious toil and raise your hands up, get on your knees and ask God to help you. You can pray for me for that in my sermon preparation. Please, pray for me. When I feel the fleshly striving and the anxiousness and I'm losing peace, I think the Lord has told me, put your hands up, get on your knees and start praying. And if I have to pray until Sunday morning, then so be it. He'll have living water for this congregation. 
Just do that. Let peace rule in your hearts. And when that peace is on you, it's a good sign that you're laboring with a dependence upon God. And I will say that um, after I finish the book of Luke, we'll be doing a sermon series on prayer. And I think the Lord's going to teach us how to pray as a local church. And he's going to wean us from self-sufficiency. Teach us how to depend upon him. And I'm telling you what, there's so much more power for this local church in prayer, in brokenness, in weakness. He's going to do things for us that we could never do for ourselves. Amen? Amen.